Hello again, friends. Ed Harold here with you today. Welcome to another Life with Breath Expert Series. Today we have the most amazing man that I can't wait to share an hour of his time with us, Mr. Dita Bala. So let's get started. Hello again, friends. Great to spend an hour together. Let's get centered and grounded before we begin to have this amazing conversation with this special human being. So if you can, plant your feet firmly down into the earth and allow your spine to straighten. Close your eyes if you can. Relax your jaw and tongue. Become aware of how the breath comes in and out of your nostrils, giving us life, experiences. And bring yourself into the present moment. Begin to breathe a little bit slower. And on the inhale, gently notice your ability to let your ribs lift away from your hips while you inhale. And how does that make you feel? So on the inhale, you'll sense the ribs lift away from the hips, aerating the abdomen. Now on your exhale, breathing through your nose, you squeeze your abdominal muscles and don't allow those ribs to float back down towards the hips. Hold the length. And as you begin to breathe slower, and we secrete relaxation, neurochemistry, allow there to be a brief pause after the inhale is complete and after the exhale is complete. And as you begin to feel yourself becoming lighter, lighter thoughts, lighthearted, notice your ability not to place attention on any of the lower emotions, fear states, negativity, adversity, negative stress. Keep your attention focused on your breath and the communication between your heart and your brain, especially the top of your brain. And when the breath is held in, if you want to feel a little bit more, squeeze your abdominal muscles. And then relax the belly and exhale to completion and hold the breath out for just a moment or two. 
We want to kickstart that gastric fire and our ability to be mentally grounded in the feeling world of the abdomen. Just another 30 seconds or so. And just imagine everything in your life is happening for your benefit. It's happening for your growth, for more peace, more abundance, healthier relationships, and a greater sense of self in the human experience in 2021. And let this round of breath be the last one of this experience. Let your body breathe on its own intelligence for a couple breaths. Your body knows how to inhale and it does it on its own. We train the body to stay with the exhale to calm us down and create feel-good, curiosity-based neurochemistry. And let's break the sound barrier. We'll take a deep breath in through the nose and we'll exhale out through the mouth with a sigh and then we can begin. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Felt so good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have Mr. Dito Bala with us and he is one of the head facilitators of Goldie Hawn's Mind Up Educational Program. It's a global outreach program. It's an educational program. It is an awareness program, and it really helps parents, students, teachers, educators, everyone that's involved in the growth process access to maybe a little different way of achieving excellence that wasn't available to us when we were kids. So welcome, Dito. Thank you so much, Coach. I appreciate having you, and I appreciate that exercise that we did because I am now self-regulated. I hope everybody at home who's watching also felt that because I felt it. Yeah, you know, the great part about the breathing is it works every time we try it. It does. It's very reliable. Just trust the process and do it. You feel better after. Yeah, you know, the nose knows. It's pretty intelligent in how it works with the brain and how it works with the body to keep us present. The information it, it gives us is huge in regard to how we read the moment, the choices that we make, and how we show up in the present moment. Yeah. First of all, I've never heard that the nose knows. I'm stealing it. That's it. <laughs> That's gonna... it. We're going to make bumper stickers. That's it. The nose knows. And absolutely, the, the connection, your, your body knows and your body tells you all you have to do is pay attention and listen. And how amazing that everything we just did was done with the tools that we have within. We didn't have to go outside to grab anything. It was all from here. I love it. Yeah, I think that's one of the great parts about the breath is that there's a simplicity to it. And it, it has the ability to hold us in, in uh, abeyance away from complexity and it can keep things simple and it really allows us to build more self-confidence 
self-esteem, self-correct on the fly, all the little things that sometimes aren't available to us when there's higher levels of stress in our life. Yeah, and, and one thing that, that I always think about is the fact that you do have it everywhere you go. I mean, I personally have some tools that I can use at home in the morning when I'm when I want to practice mindfulness or breathing or gratitude or in the evening before going to bed. However, if I happen to be in my car or before a stressful uh, meeting or conversation or something happens suddenly and I just don't have anything to reach out to, all I have to think about is inhale, excel. I have it here, so let me use it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hey, listen, where did you get that beautiful accent? So my accent is from Cameroon, which is geographically in West Africa. Um, so my first language is French, uh, and I moved to the U.S. in 2008 for school. So the accent you hear is a whole lot of education in French until I was about 22, and then living in the U.S. and studying and working in English uh, from that age until now. I find it very soothing. It's very comforting. Hey, I, I take it. If it adds with the mindfulness, I'm not going to be upset with that. <laughs> so speaking of speaking of mindfulness and mind up, you know, for folks who are out there that might not be familiar with Goldie Hawn's Mind Up program, can you describe a little bit how you support educators and students globally? Absolutely. So Mind Up is our our social and emotional learning program, but really. It's a program based around the belief that every single child in the world has the tools and can understand how their emotions work, how stress works in their brain, and how to self-regulate them. So if kids all around the world can have a sense of agency and a sense of control, then they can make better decisions. Then they can have a better relationships um, with themselves and with others. So from that principle, we have an entire curriculum in a toolbox of resources that we share with teachers and parents and school leaders and educators all around the world so they can understand that the power, like we said, is within and they have the tools to bring these practices to kids as young as kids who are five years old. Um, so that's essentially what MindUp uh, is and does around the world. So this is really cutting edge material educational material uh what's your role in regard I, I know you're an educator but i think it's more than that what's your role in mind up so i've had a few roles but currently i'm the director of educational innovation and, and global partnerships so what that means is that seeing as i i'm aware of the power of understanding your brain mindful awareness positive psychology it is important for me that everybody has access to it. So that means that if we work with a, a, a school that is in China, it should be the same as if you work with a school that is in Milwaukee or a school that happens to be somewhere in Toronto, Canada. So my part of my role is how do I take the tools that we have our curriculum and package that in a way where I can train all those educators, meet them where they're at to make sure they understand the tools and then they can work with the students. And the innovation part, as you can see what happened with COVID, is we had to innovate and find a way to still bring the message to people through Zoom, through uh, Microsoft Teams, and just through the internet in general. So I've spent a lot of time innovating around 
how do we use technology to continue to spread the importance of emotional intelligence? So that's one part of what I do. Uh, the other part of what I do is I'm in charge of those global relationships and, and, and also kind of on a national level, whether it be with schools or with organizations that are like-minded that want to, to, to bring mindfulness all around the world. We are currently working with um, uh, Romania, for example, with a goal of hopefully being in every single Romanian school one day. So we are starting a partnership where we're trying to bring that the, 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 those tools there as well, because as long as you have a brain and as long as you have a breath, you can benefit from understanding how those those tools work and how you can use them uh, to your benefit. So that's part of uh, of what I do, amongst other things. Well, this is very exciting. It's very exciting that we're giving our youth options in regard to uh, when I was growing up, a very linear, structured educational system, which. It, it worked for the majority of the folks, but there was still a, a large group of folks that apparently that seemed to get left behind. Uh, they maybe didn't have the best operating left prefrontal cortex where it's a lot of memorization and repetition and you were tested. And that was kind of the whole judgment of whether, you know, you were proficient, you know, in the public school system in America wh where I went. And wh when I look at what, what MindUp is offering, it seems to be a complete mind-body package in regard to educating the youth. W would that be a correct assumption? It would be. And, I, and I'll take you back to my first or second year uh, teaching. I was a high school teacher um, in Miami. And I work with students who show up to my class. And I'm trying to teach them writing and English, uh, creative writing. And I just noticed that every morning when they step inside my classroom, I can just feel that there's something in them that makes them feel a little tight, a little stuck. And no matter what I try to teach, I can feel that it, they're not receiving it. And so in all, in, instead of pushing forward and saying, I have to achieve these goals and keep this, this pace of teaching objectives, um, I figured that there was something about how they feel when they are in my classroom that I wanted to change. So I therefore focused on, okay, how can I take five minutes every single day when my students come in class before I teach any content? What can I do to break that, that feeling of stuck that I see or sense and have them feel more comfortable? And I just threw everything I could think of, whether it be thinking of jokes to tell them or asking them to be kind to each other for five minutes. And when they ask me, what do you mean by that? Be kind to each other for five minutes. I'm like, Say something nice to her. You say something nice to him. And they thought it was yeah. funny. But what I did, though, is that those five minutes allowed everybody to kind of level set without us knowing what we were doing. And by the time we were done with that and we start looking at the content, then everybody's where they need to be. So it goes back to, to, to your point about the education system in a way where the focus in that class to me was not specifically forget everything about these kids and who they are outside of my classroom to focus on teaching the objective. In fact, I did the opposite. I want to know about them holistically. Who are they outside of my classroom, within my classroom? And how can I tap into that to make them feel like they can just be? And the more they can be, uh, the more they can learn. Well, I really love that explanation and that, that, that sense of belonging, that, that sense that we're in this together, uh, that sense that uh, no one gets left behind in the Mind Up program. 
and you know everyone can play if you know and, and in that i think it, it, when youngsters were always looking to seek affirmations outside of us and you know we want support and it's, sometimes it's difficult for children to ask for what they require because it's difficult to find the languaging or the words due to the limitation of age they just know there's energy there and that energy wants to bond and, and feel accepted just as they are they Kids want to let go of any doubt that the gifts that they bring to the table aren't big enough, you know, regardless of what you look like or what you sound like or the color of your skin or how you do in tests. And when I think of the Mind Up program, it it, it just fills my heart with a sense that we're moving in the right direction. Does that we make are. sense? Yeah, we are. And and you touched on something key to to, to Mind Up, which is our very first uh, lesson now um, is on building community. And the reason why we wanted to be intentional about that is that, as any uh, educator knows, before you you, you, you you go into the content, you need to create a space in the classroom where your students feel like they have that unequivocal, I got your back feeling with each other and with their teacher. They need to feel like it is okay to learn through mistakes, which, by the way, is one of the best ways to learn, is to make mistakes uh, comfortably, knowing that you can learn from that is to create a space where they can feel like it's okay to be vulnerable. So mm -hmm. once you create that space, right, that's the first lesson in the mind up, then you can go into learning about your brain and how your brain works. And I recommend that for anybody teaching anything or anybody trying to, 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 to establish a, um, a relationship with, with, with kids because when they know that they have that safety around you or in your classroom or in any other environment they are with you, then they're all allowed to not know how to ask the question, but just share whatever is inside because they know it's going to be okay. Um, they aren't going to be punished for not being perfect. They aren't going to be mocked for not having the right answer. They will be encouraged to just show up as they are. And in this environment, we'll have, we've got each other's back and we celebrate learning through, through mistakes. That's how we start with Mind Up. And then we go into how does your brain works. That is so exciting. You know, as you spoke, it reminds me of, of how I do my work. And, and when I meet people, you know, ad adults or, or children across platforms, I, when I first get with people, the first thing I, I try to do is try to bond with them emotionally and, and try to provide a backdrop where we can have trust, where we're not here to play games, but we're here to trust each other. And if we can bond emotionally and we can find a sense of, of where – we can be together, the learning seems to happen organically and naturally from the inside out. Absolutely. And that's why, so in MindUp, we, we talk about the emotional brain. And we, it, we, 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 we focus on that because we are emotional beings and we lead with emotions. Often, the emotions actually show up before we can cognitively understand exactly why we feel this way or why we felt that way. So making sure that you can connect with somebody emotionally, that somebody feels emotionally safe is extremely important for any rapport you want to have with somebody. So that would make sense, right? So when you and I connect, no matter what the topic of conversation is, because we established that emotional connection and safety, we know that we are going to hop on the boat and just go and float, right? Wherever it goes, it'll be okay because we had that foundation. Yeah, that is just so warming to my heart to hear that 
You know, when, when we have that sense that we belong or this is a safe space or all feelings are welcome, the, the parts of the brain that allow us to separate or become aggressive or defensive, you look at the amygdala and some of the areas around uh, the lower part of the brain, you know, we begin to basically shrink them in size so that in that point of safety, there's much more curiosity and the availability to wire neurons for learning rather than any type of the old aggressive or defensiveness or I need to hang on to this attachment. Yeah, and, and, the, and I think about these things in very simple terms. If, if I want to teach you something that you haven't learned before, do you think you'd be better able to learn that if your brain is calm or if your brain is sad and upset and frustrated, right? If, if I want to have a good conversation with you, should I have it with you when you are fed and settled or when you are hungry and unhappy, right? It's, it's all those kind of simple things that if we all think about it, it just makes sense that you would want to provide for the brain, care for the brain, care for the feelings, care for the emotions. And then once that's done, everything else can be okay because a, a happy brain is a brain that learns better, right? Right, right. And we want to feel like, you know, we can get that information from the brain when we require it. Mm. And, and it takes a little bit of discipline. It takes a little bit of how, how do I learn? What is the easiest way? How do I learn as a person? And it might be different than my neighbor. And then giving folks the opportunity to tap into various different learning models. You know, bravo, my friend. Thank you. You, you, you sound just like a teacher, Ed. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think on some level, all of us, you know, are, are in that teacher-student mode in, in every relationship that, that we're in in our life from birth to death. And uh, I just think it's really important that we honor where we've been in the educational model, what the opportunity is now, and you look at mind up in the various protocols that you have, and what's the trajectory of that in the future? So our goal, so we just rebranded from Mind Up simply to Mind Up for Life. And Mind Up for Life is a very interesting and important rebranding because we used to be a program focused only on schools. Um, but when I say only on schools, it included training teachers uh, and school leaders, but also working with parents because we know that in order to really reach the kids, we need to also have an impact um, a, a way to help the parents continue to use the same language, the same tools. But as we become mind up for life, we are still mostly focused in schools. However, we add, we're adding a few sections to, to, to the mind up brand. So for example, we now have mind up uh, for adults. So what that means is whether or not you are an educator, as an adult, your own self-care is extremely important. So on our online portal, we have resources for adults. We now have mind up, for, mind up for families so that even if your kid is not going to a school that has mind the Mind Up program, you can access some resources there that you can use at home as a family. But we're even thinking bigger than that. We're thinking about branching into Mind Up for sports um, and exploring there as well because, again, once you understand the importance of self-regulation, the, the way in which a student may be stressed because they have a test today is similar to the way in which a kid at home may be stressed because 
mom said, get your homework done and clean your room before I get home. And mom is almost home and they haven't done that yet, which is the same way that before a meet a gymnast uh, who has practiced the, the, the routine on three to one go might be stressed about how to actually make sure they execute, which is the same way in which when before you start a football game, you feel like you're getting a little anxious. So once you, uh, you can see that through line, you realize that the tools that we're teaching can be used anywhere. So that's why we have rebranded to Mind Up for Life, and we are trying to take it all around the world. I, I think that's wonderful. And I, you know, having a, a conscious awareness around the sensitivity that we care about how we're showing up in the moment. And I'd like to do well in this classroom, in this sporting event, in this relationship. And really looking at that sensitivity or that energy, you know, that little knot you feel in your belly before you're going to do something in, in a performance or whatever it may be, knowing that that's, that's an alarm that just simply tells you that you really care about how this is going to unfold and you will hit the mark. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make the mark. Yes. It's, so it's all about that interpretation, right? You can get the signal and take it one way or the other. And the what I, what I always say is, what is the story that serves you well, right? So when you get a little knot, if the story is, I am nervous, I am not ready, um, and you and we know that you find what you seek, you are going to focus on that negativity bias. But if the story is, that's the excitement that reminds me that I'm about to do something important and I'm about to do it well because I'm prepared. That story serves you well, and it is true. So it's all about those interpretations as well. Being the author of our story, I think, is one of the great things that you bring to the table. You know, we're going to learn our lessons here on Earth various different ways. But I think one of the hardest ways to continue to learn lessons is through the lens of fear or insecurity or you're not good enough because it didn't work out a month ago or whatever it may be. It's so much easier to learn our lessons through the fact that every moment of your life, you're doing the best you can. And if you could do better, you would have. And giving yourself the compassion that it just takes so much courage every day sometimes just to get out of bed and go through your hygiene and get out there into the field and just honoring the simplicity of that. And that, that, that ties into uh, our lesson on gratitude. And when we teach about gratitude, um, we, we make it clear to people adults and kids alike that you don't need to wait for a huge achievement or a big promotion, the best news ever before you feel gratitude. Gratitude is something you feel for getting up in the morning. If you're able to put your hand on your heart and feel it beat, that right there is already enough to be grateful for. And if you start there and look at it that way, we are very, very grateful to already be alive and there's so much about getting up, being here, doing the simple things you do every single day that I think we should already be grateful for and appreciate ourselves for being able to do. Well said. And, you know, when there is issues around performance, you know, it's always up here. It's never right here. This organ is not afraid. It is your best friend. When you tune your mind to 
the wisdom of your heart. Notice it's communication that you can understand. It's little bumper stickers of support. It never leads you astray. It's always on true north. And when we're in a growth mode or an educational model or performance model, you know, when there is anxiety, know that that's simply there to provide an energetic support so that you can hear your heart guide you from point A to point B with flow. Mm, yeah, I love that. And and that connects to, to the rewiring of the brain, right? You You are what you do repeatedly. So the more you practice recognizing those signs in here and leaning into the fact that you are going in the right direction, you are going to be okay. You are trying to be better than yesterday. The more you do that, the more your brain learns that that's how you are supposed to operate. And when we teach uh, kids and, uh, and educators about perspective taking, that's what we do. So we use a reframing exercise where we look at something that you might have felt like was something negative. It could be something as simple as, I had plans to go play as uh, volleyball at the beach this weekend, and now it's raining. And my instinct is to say, my plans are ruined. I'm going to have a terrible weekend. And we take that and we say, that's one way to look at it. Or you can shift that and realize that by you not being at the beach when it's raining and being at home, say with your family, you can actually enjoy that time. Or by realizing that it's just more opportunities for many more sunny days out of the, the one day where it was raining cannot and should not ruin your entire mood. And we, we reframe that because there's something about your initial instinct towards that negativity bias that if you lean into that, you get the, the feeling that everything is always negative, right? You tend to focus on the things that don't work, the things that you don't have, and the things you can't do. So if you flip that and say, okay, that's not working, but what is working? If I ask you to list now all the things that are working in your life, you will find many of those. If I ask you to list the things that you can do and the things that you do have, your brain learns that it can start scanning the world for the things that you do have, the things you can do, et cetera, et cetera. And over time, you just become somebody who sees those opportunities because they're there. The truth is they're there. It's just harder to find them sometimes when you give in to the, the negativity bias. But the good news is you can retrain your brain and you can relearn to view things in a way that makes a lot more sense, that's a lot more optimistic. That was just a beautiful, beautiful statement there. And, you know, we all are habit-driven beings. We can rewire the brain. We can rewire our heart. We can rewire our emotions. But in the Mind Up program, you're getting at children between the ages of 5 and 12 when the foundational bedrock of how we're showing up in the moment and how we fit into the puzzle of life is being constructed in our mind's ear and eye. And these old subconscious memories that uh, occur to us during our growth years between 5 and 12, we carry these, these memories, these imprints around with us like a, like a badge of honor. And... You know, I, I know that when when we get stressed, even as adults, and we, we lose that mooring of, to be able to reason with the moment, and we're in this reactionary, high heart rate, shallow breathing, amygdala response, you'll notice that we're responding from a deficit that occurred somewhere in our life where we felt we didn't fit in between 5 and 12. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, and, 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 and when I think about that, it's it's just... 
the, the, the signs are always there, right? So if you think about the breathing exercise we did earlier today uh, with you, that long inhale and long exhale, if I compare that to the way that I or anybody else breathes when we're panicking, it's shallow breaths. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite the opposite. And when you realize something that simple, you can then shift from the natural kind of reaction to stress, which you're not talking about, kind of which comes from from being being a young kid, um, to intentionally uh, shifting. Because at one point in the exercise, you guided us to let the bad the the, the the breathing happen naturally. So we teach young kids from a really really young age. There's a difference. Your body knows how to breathe, but there's the intentional mindful breathing. And to go back to when I became, started my career as a teacher, the first time I, I sat my juniors and seniors in high school and said, we're all going to breathe for three minutes, what do, what do you think the reaction was? Oh, they, they laughed at me. <laughs> they, they said, breathing? We, know, we already know how to breathe. Uh, what are you talking about? So it took me a little bit of time to be able to, to explain to them that what we're talking about here is the difference between noticing how your, your, your breathing shows up when you're stressed, when you're anxious, when you're scared, and then contrast that with this intentional breathing. And then your body can tell you the difference. So kids as young as five, six, seven, they can see that difference. And then something else that I find really cool when kids learn um, what happens in their brain is kids realize that there's nothing wrong with them. And one more thing that we have done as adults in the education system and sometimes as parents is we've made kids feel that their quote-unquote bad behaviors make them be bad. And I know this because after I talk, I've taught kids about the brain, they've often come to me and say, so that means I'm not bad. And I ask them to, 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 to elaborate. What do you mean by that? They would say things such as, well, I often feel this way and... I respond this way. I may say something mean to somebody or I may throw something. I may feel like avoiding the, uh, a, the conflict. And when I do that, people around me, usually adults, say that I'm bad. But now that I've learned about how my nervous system works, about my amygdala, which is responding in fight, flight, freeze, when it senses danger, whether it be a perceived or a real danger, now I know that that was just my amygdala responding to perceived stress. It was not me as a whole being being bad. And there's something very powerful uh, and empowering about realizing that there's nothing wrong with me. My brain just works the way it's supposed to work. And if I can learn how to leverage and control that, I'm going to be just okay. Well said. Well said. You know, the body inhales on its own. In other words, you can't, you can hold your breath out as long as you want. But eventually, the pressure is going to build, and your body will inhale on its own. It's designed for self-preservation. It's designed for thriving. It's designed for growth. The exhale is a little bit different. And when we think about the exhale and we think about levels of unhealthy stress or chronic disease that's taken place over a period of time where we've lost that ability to insulate ourselves from less than fully integrated emotions, we can learn a lot around how people feel about themselves by the length of their exhale and their ability to self-regulate, their ability to adapt 
to different environments or, or different subjective or objective states. And, and just having folks have the awareness that when they're exhaling through their nose, how they're choosing to show up in the present moment. When the exhale gets shorter than the inhale, the amygdala senses that we are in danger. It thinks that there is threat. Even though there isn't any physical threat of damage or danger or damage, it's a thought. And unconscious thoughts can have the ability to trigger us in the states of fight, flight, or freeze. So just being aware of that slower inhale and what that does to our heart rate, our blood pressure, and stabilizes the mind and the brain for that present moment. But the real magic happens on lengthening that exhale and unwiring or rewiring parts of the brain that sometimes separate us from the greatest parts of ourselves. Yeah, that's that's just beautifully said, and that that reminds me of when we work with people who students, let's say students who are scared of speaking in public, and you know, public speaking is one of the scariest things like in the world, even for adults. And I remember working with students um, in high school who were so scared of giving presentations in front of people that they would they would literally freeze, right, and they would not understand why that was happening to them, they would say, Mr. Bala, I spent the entire last week, the entire night practicing and getting ready for this. I am ready, I promise you. But for some reason, I just can't say anything. And I would tell them, that's normal. Let me teach you something. So the part of your brain that we, you would need to access to remember how to present, to answer the questions, that part of your brain, because of this perceived danger, you don't have access to it in the same way. So this, the shallow breath that I'm seeing, the sweating, the not being able to say anything, all that is an indication that your brain is perceiving danger. And, and, and really, it is scary to stand up in front of 30 people, 40, 50 people, and, and try to give a speech on something important. So that simple breathing practice of inhale and slow, long, and control exhale would slowly, just in a couple of minutes, calm the nervous system and the student right. observe their own body. They can, they can see how they go from being this way and clenched to, to relaxed. And right away, they can see how something happens in their brain where the, 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 the notes they wrote last night, the, the questions they prepared for and they had forgotten about, all that starts to come back online. And then they are able to, to, to present. So it's, it, it's like magic, but the way you just explained that there with that long Excel makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so if you're in a situation where you're with students, you know, the less breaths per minute is a wonderful way to keep the heart rate down so there's no threat of danger. And then we can turn on the learning centers of the brain and we can absorb that information into every molecule of our body and have it on hold when we will be required to regurgitate that information. So it's kind of all, all connected on some level. And that leads me to MindUp's mindfulness program. And, you know, when I was a kid in school, back when the pyramids were being built, uh, there wasn't any mention of mindfulness. It was always empty your mind, get out of the way, or, or 
you know, be aggressive. You know, it was always be the top dog. That was, you know, all you all you wanted to be. And now we have this thing called mindfulness. And I I think that we could make a distinction between mindfulness for children and, and mindfulness for adults. When we have a rich, full experience of decades of life and we get introduced to the Eastern arts of mindfulness that was brought to America by John Kabat-Zinn uh, in the early 70s at MIT, you know, the foundation of mindfulness for adults might be simply focus your breath and empty your mind of what doesn't need to be there right now. But in children, there's a different platform because they haven't had as many experiences as adults. And it's fresh, fertile ground. How does MindUp uh, tackle the mindfulness great phenomena that's available to us? That's a really good question. I'm glad you asked it. And we actually teach mindfulness the same way to children and to adults. And, and, I, and I, I explained to you why it, it makes sense. So the idea is that mindfulness is two things specifically. Think about the practice of being present in a moment and aware of that moment, whatever that means, right? So if being present in the moment and aware means listening to you, making eye contact, that's that. If it means focusing on breathing, that's that. So being present here, aware of the moment. And then two, be non-judgmental. And once you add those two things together, you have mindfulness. The key to the non-judgment is that it's important to, to be non-judgmental towards yourself first, and then non-judgmental towards others. So let's talk about a couple of examples. So yeah. people used to, or some still feel like mindfulness means that you need to have an empty mind. That's not what it is. So picture sitting here talking to me and there is a train that goes by for a few seconds. Before, if, if you thought that mindfulness meant have an empty mind, you would assume that mindfulness means that you should somehow be able to talk to me here or close your eyes and not hear the train at all. That's very difficult. I don't know how you do that. If, if anybody can do that, please teach me because I would love to. Mindfulness, as we teach it instead, is be present. Notice that the train is there and bring your focus back to what you were doing without judgment. That's all it is. So if what I'm practicing is mindful breathing, I'm practicing mindful breathing. Suddenly I hear somebody ring the bell. I see, oh, I see you, bell. Now I come back to breathing. I think I'm hearing a fly around here. I hear you fly. Back to breathing. Something is smelling really good. It's making me hungry. I notice you smell. Back to breathing. So it's all about noticing. I don't judge the fact that I, 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 uh, I smell something uh, delicious. I don't judge the fact that I'm hearing noise. I don't judge the fact that I'm distracted. So that's why during our, our core practice, our brain break, we remind people that if your mind is wandering and you are distracted, that's okay. The practice of mindfulness is to notice what it is and then bring it back. So when it comes to the train analogy, mindfulness is noticing the train and coming back to what you're doing. The opposite of mindfulness, which is giving into the daydreaming more than just going would be noticing the train and abandoning the breathing practice to go hop on the train and then stopping somewhere else, then hopping on the, in a car somewhere and then going. But as long as you notice and you come back, you are practicing mindfulness. And the more you do that, the more you teach your brain to practice 
being in a situation where you don't control what's being done around you, but you control your your ability to be here now, notice what's happening, not judge, come back. Notice, don't judge, come back. That's how we teach mindfulness to kids and to adults. That's very well said. Very well. And I, it's wonderful that you allow all the sense organs to be involved in the process of allowing the mind to be the mind. The mind's job is to create thought. We, we don't need to censor thought and have bad thought, good thought. It's all potentiality of excellence. And when we can use all of our sense organs and be fully alive, connected to our breath, that's pretty much as good as it gets. It is. And what we all know it, the second you start fighting a thought, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> the, the thought gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, of course. This is like when you write the do not touch sign or something or is it fresh paint. We all feel like, oh, I got to touch that to make sure. So if you, the, the, uh, there's an analogy I love to use too is to like, if you water the weeds, the weeds are going to grow, right? Just like notice them, let them be and spend more time watering the flowers so they can grow. But as the weeds are there, just notice them, accept them for what they are, and then move on to what you were doing. I love that. I love that analogy, the weeds and, and the, uh, the flowers. You know, everybody wants to plant new seeds and new flowers in the garden, but nobody wants to go in and pull the weeds. And, and the weeds are the greatest parasitic energy water drainer of the whole garden. So it's really interesting when we can get ourselves centered and we can lower our heart rate and we can allow the mind be the mind, and our intention is simply to be present with the breath, the weeds will naturally shrink organically in size on their own and eventually disappear. Ah, uh, I'm telling you, you are, you are a teacher. This is, so that right there, so that, that could have been the beginning of our lesson on uh, perspective taking and, and, and positive psychology, because that what you just explained there is the same as being like focusing on what the behavior you want to see as opposed to the one you don't want to see. So, for example, if you are a parent and you have a child at home trying to get your attention, mom, 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 dad, 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 and you don't pay attention. And then when they see something on the table and they push it and it drops on the ground and then you give them attention, what you just taught that brain is that the way to get attention is by doing things like this. The same thing happens in class. If I ask everybody to stand up really? and I ignore the 95% of the students who stood up and I focus on the 5% that did not, what I'm doing essentially is I'm rewarding the weeds for being there. Where if I just encourage and try to uplift what I want to see more of, not only do I validate the ones who did the right thing, quote unquote, but guess what? That 5% that did not, is going to want that as well. And over time, they will get there. That's so well. That was a great, great example. You know, speaking of, of mindfulness and uh, educational platforms in, in all facets of life, all platforms, you know, I, I know you're a big proponent at mind up of, of positive psychology rather than shame, blame, reject uh, some of the older models that we have we bump into from time to time how does positive psychology play a role in what you're presenting to uh the world today dito so we we, we teach uh, educators parents and students that in, in in truth 
you have control over your happiness. Um, it's an element of choice in in, in mm-hmm. being positive. And, and this is very important to, to distinguish because as an educator, especially throughout the pandemic, I have heard people uh, uh, kind of confuse what a positive psychology for what I have now heard is called toxic positivity. That's not what this is. Uh, positive psychology acknowledges the fact that there are many things that are happening around us that aren't positive, that aren't working. It also acknowledges that we have a negativity bias. And then it acknowledges that because of the negativity bias, there are many positive things around us that we may not be able to see. So we can train our brains to see those things so that we can automatically start to be people who just notice more optimism. But also through positive psychology, we 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 think about the old model that used to be that you will find happiness on the other side of success, right? So I'm going to set a goal. Once I achieve that goal, then I'm going to be happy. Then I'm going to be successful. But what we all know, as anybody who has been buying iPhones for a long time, is when the iPhone 7 came out, you were convinced that that was going to make your life. But then you got the iPhone 7 and you were excited for exactly like 23 hours. And then you didn't care. And then six months later, this, the 8 came. Then you wanted that. When you get the 8, you want the 9. Then the 10. You never quite get there. And what we teach uh, people is that through positive psychology, we now know that if you can raise your level of optimism in the present, in your current situation, no matter what phone you have, no matter what kind of car you drive, no matter what kind of job you have, if you can raise that level right now in the present, then you view the world with a lens of optimism and of, um, of, of gratitude. And that's how you are more optimistic if you believe that you will only be happy when you get this promotion, when you make this much money, when you get that job, you, you essentially push happiness and optimism over, as Sean Ikor said, over the cognitive horizon. Um, but instead, you have the choice today. So if you elevate that level of optimism right now, you will be more optimistic. But again, this does not mean that we are saying that you should smile all the time and and ignore the fact that there are things that aren't working. We acknowledge them, we process them, but we remember that our negativity bias wants us to feel like it's all bad, but in fact, it's not all bad. And the saying is, you don't view the world as it is, but you view the world as you are. So if you can change who you are now with that optimistic lens, then you start to view the world that way. That is so well said. Folks, you're watching this. You got to play that back and make sure you, you take in that information because that positivity is contagious. And we're emotional beings. And when you get a group of people together, you get a tribe of people together, and we have the, the ability to receive the moment before reacting to it the same way it appears this was presented to me in the past, you turn into a lifelong learner. And there, there's a lightness to the educational experience where you learn something new every day uh, without even trying to learn anything new. And it just you, every day is an adventure and you, you don't know what's going to happen, but you're kind of curiously poking around to see what's going on all the time in your life. And, you know, you're going to have a lot more enjoyment in your life in the role of using the breath, using that positivity, the ability not to react. And letting moments unfold 
a little bit longer before we judge the moment as either successful or failure. Because when we're not in that mode, everything is off into the future. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get this in the future. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that in the future. And that's not really being present. You know, what's happening right now? And we think about what the Mind Up program does as far as, let's just call it social emotional learning. That's another big proponent of sustaining that optimistic cerebral outlook. Can you talk a little bit about social-emotional learning, Dito? Yeah, so social-emotional learning. So we have the the, the competencies that are generally uh, really read about everywhere, which are uh, self-awareness, you know, self-regulation, building uh, relationships, uh, and and making good decisions. And if you put all that together, really, what social-emotional learning is is the ability to realize that going back to school, teaching math and science and English, all those things are important, but it is as important, if not even more important, to teach kids how to understand who they are from within and then leverage that knowledge to let to, 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 to self-regulate and to have better relationships. And another way to think about social and emotional learning is to, to view people as whole beings, not just as um, if you are a teacher, not, don't just view your students as students who are here to learn English, students who are here to learn math. Or if you have a coworker, don't just think about them as a colleague. They're a colleague, they're, they're a mom, they're a sister, they can be a dad. If you think about them holistically and you take their whole being into account, then when you approach them uh, through an SEL lens, you're a lot more likely to be successful at engaging with them. And that's what we teach um, throughout the MindUp program uh, when it comes to, to, to SEL. You know, I think of awareness of self, self-awareness. No one mentioned that to me until I was about 38. Uh, I wasn't eight years old. And bringing awareness to a child of the value that they bring just by showing up in the present moment, the self-awareness that comes from the ability to be seen and heard just as you show up in the present moment. I don't know what that does to a young brain or a young heart or a young emotional content of a belly, but it has to be something that is so fulfilling to a youngster that it probably can't even be described in a narrative. Yeah, and, and you and I can, can appreciate that because now we can see what it means to us and we can only imagine what it could have meant to us at this age if we had learned about self-awareness at age eight. So that's why we have that perspective. But those kids at that age can see the power of self-awareness already because how amazing is it for an eight, nine, ten-year-old to be able to say, I'm very aware that when I am late for class, my body reacts this way. I'm very aware that when I get a bad grade, my body reacts this way. I'm very aware that when the teacher pauses my name and wants me to read in public, my body reacts this way, self-awareness, and then move to self-regulation. Therefore, I have learned that when I'm late and my body reacts this way, I can take a deep breath. When my teacher calls on me to read out loud and I, get, and I panic, I can simply practice some mindful listening. So the more you go from that self-awareness to the self-regulation, even at that young age, you can see the benefits. But of course, as adults, 
we we have a perspective that's unique because really if we had learned those skills at that age if i can only imagine the kind of world we'll have but i'm hopeful because we're all working with kids that young today well we're moving in the right direction and anytime there's change there appears to be fear that you know the whole thing is going to crash into a wall and it's not going to work because we've changed the way we've done it for the last x amount of decades and now you're launching this mind up for life and i i look i think about the COVID situation and how terrible it's been but then i find these little needle in the haystacks these little slivers of light that have come from a disaster like this and we find mind up for life and we have the technology where your curriculum and all of your tools are being brought out to everyone regardless of where they are on the earth and you can see that there always is a little light inside all of the shadows. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. And what COVID taught us is that we can be afraid of change all we want, but we don't control it. It shows up when it wants and it will show up. So what we say is since change will show up and you don't control it, which version of yourself would you rather meet the change? Would it be the self-regulated version? or the unsettled version, and the choice is easy. So there's a, there's a lot of pressure on kids today. There's a lot being put on them that I guess it, I, I don't know of any generation that's been kind of tested the way these folks are. And I think the Mind Up program is the perfect prescription to really allow these kids to be in this moment fully, extract the information and awareness that they need from this to become good citizens in the future. And with someone like yourself that, that's leading the charge, you know, who's someone like yourself who is just an, a super powerful force for all that's good on the earth. I, I just, I, I, I know that we're leaving education in good hands when we're leaving it in your hands. I, I appreciate hearing that. And I could tell you for as much as I, I devote to, 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 to bringing this knowledge to educators, I see those educators every single day showing up as well, showing up for those students. And I see the students looking up to the educators. And no matter what's happening out there, uh, our schools are here, whether they are virtual or in person. Our teachers are here, whether they are virtual or in person. Our students are here, virtual or in person. So they're still showing up. So if I can play my part and sprinkle a little bit of what I know, what I've seen work to help them. I am grateful that I get to do that. Well, I'm grateful that I was able to meet you through Goldie Hawn. I, I think you're an amazing, amazing young man and you, your best days are in front of you. And I can't say thank you enough for the last hour of my life. I've learned so much about you and the Mind Up program. And I wish you nothing but the best as we move into the fall season of 2021. Thank you so much, Coach. It was a pleasure, and I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to do it again. Well, you're you're a very kind, gracious man, and I will look forward to more great things coming to my awareness through your knowledge, wisdom, and skill sets. Thank you, Dito. Thanks, Ed. Okay. Bye-bye, brother. Bye.